Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> you know, um, if you are here, if somebody dragged you here this morning and uh, you're not used to the, the culture of our little faith community, I just think you're so brave for being here and uh, so glad you came and just feel free, uh, ask questions. Don't worry if you stick out. I know what it's like to be a newbie in a culture that, that uh, you really don't fit. Um, I did hot yoga yesterday. <clears throat> I, I did, and oh my lord! I'm t we, we have a new uh, yoga place in uh, in Lake Country, and uh, I was the only guy. My wife and I went there. I'm the only guy, and they're all little, like these skinny little people in Lulu, and and oh, and it's so quiet in there. You know, they tell you to do the downward dog and, and then the chaturanga and the cappuccino and all these other moves and, and none of them grunt. I'm the only one making noises and, <laughs> and, and sweat. Oh my gosh. I didn't bring a towel. I just have a yoga mat thing. I slipped right in the middle of a move <laughs> and the instructor looked over at me. Came, she stopped her whole thing just to make sure... And, and then, you know, they, they say, you know what a downward dog is? Like, it, it's really hard. And then you do that thing, right? And then they say, skip up to your feet. Skip up to your feet. I have to roll over, lay on my side, sit up, and then go to my feet. And by that time, my mat, that's how it got all wet. It's soaking wet. And so, oh. And, and you know they're judging you, right? All these people who are supposed to be in their zen, they're thinking, what a moron. You know, you know. So I, yeah, I know what it's like not to fit. And, um, and so, uh, but anyway, I feel good. <laughs> you still can't bend a two by four. You know that, that's the thing is, and, and I am a two by four. I have just, I'm fossilizing. That's why I'm starting to go to yoga. All right, I wanna talk about Jesus is the way. Jesus, you know, all that we have written about him is about three years of his life. And for three years, it must have been extraordinary for his disciples to walk with him, have breakfast with him, you know, watch him do. But maybe the thing that was most powerful about him was, was his essence, to be around that much energy, that much positive energy, and to participate in it every day. And then watch him say things. And he just spoke things. He turned the whole world upside down by bringing the kingdom of God to the earth and, and the principles of the kingdom. They were completely upside down from everything else that they had known. And then just before he's about to leave, just before he's about to go back, he, he, he tells them, I'm leaving soon. And they're really concerned because they, they, they think they don't know anything. And Jesus says this in John 14, chapter 14, verse 1. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. And if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas says, 
Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way. I'm the way. I'm the truth and I'm the light. No one comes to the Father but by me. He said, I'm the way. In a pluralistic culture like ours, the notion that Jesus is the only way to the Father comes across so bigoted, it comes across a narrow-minded and incredibly arrogant and exclusive. The idea that Jesus is the only way to the Father is so offensive. It may be one of the things that we offend our culture, the people in our world with. That, that notion is just difficult for them to... How, how is it that the, the, the Buddhists, billions of Buddhists and Hindus are wrong? How is it that millions of Muslims are wrong? How is it that the majority of the human race, which is Buddhists, Muslims, Hindus, agnostics, atheists, how is it that they are all wrong and a tiny group of Christians are right? Well, truth is, I don't actually have a big enough brain to answer this completely. I don't know what God how, what he does with someone who's never heard the gospel. I don't know what, what God does with people who've had experienced the church in its worst light and have walked away from the message because we've done such a terrible job of reflecting God. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I, I have to trust him, okay? I, I don't have those answers. I have to trust him with that stuff. But maybe, maybe the question behind all of these questions is I wrestled with this, and I wrestled with this talk for two weeks because I did not want to fumble the ball. I think the question behind all of these questions is does God actually care more than we do? Does God actually care more than we do? Is he more interested and more concerned? Is he more loving and more compassionate than we are? Because if, if, if the scriptures are true and then that the, there is an eternity waiting for us after we live our lives and that the human race is separated from that eternity and from God because of our sin, I would think God would be concerned. The objection that I hear at the university a lot as I interact with students into the gospel and to the exclusivity of the gospel is that I, I could never give my life to a God who only cares about Christians. Or I could never worship a God who is indifferent to a majority of the population, the Buddhists and the Muslims and the atheists and the agnostics and the Hindus. If, if God is a, such a good God, why is he indifferent to those? Why is he ready to send those people to an eternal hell? I have a friend at the university, and he's got a PhD in world, world religions. And I spent hours with him going over this material. And one of the things that uh, a lot of people think is that, that fundamentally all religions are the same, and they're only superficially different. But the reality is, and having talked to my friend for hours, the reality is that at best, at best, the world religions are superficially 
resembling each other, but fundamentally completely, completely different. When you look at the backdrop of human history, you can put all the world religions into two basic categories, into legalism or fatalism. Either God is aloof or God is impersonal. If God is aloof, then that leads us to legalism. If God is aloof, that leads us to, to, to rules and rituals and criteria and doing and doing and doing so that you're good enough to be accepted by God. If you, if you were to look at the Islamic faith and you were asking a, 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 a Muslim, how, how, how do you enter into paradise? They would tell you that, that, that I will live my life and then God will look at my life at the end. Allah will, I'll stand before Allah and he will look if I was good enough, if my good deeds outweighed my bad deeds and then I would be allowed into paradise or I would be rejected from paradise. It's about doing. The Christian faith is very different than that. The second category is fatalism. And fatalism is where you have absolutely no control of how God treats you, how he interacts with you. You have no control of your destiny. It's all mapped out. It's all prepackaged. There's an illusion of free choice, but at the end, everything is preset. And if you ask someone from a pantheistic or polyistic um, uh, faith, like the Hindus and the Buddhists, they would tell you that the, 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 the life we're living right now, this is just a rebirth. And every birth is a rebirth. And every rebirth is a has, uh, is a reflective of the last life that you lived. And you rebirth and you rebirth and you recycle millions of times into nothingness then. And if you get it right, you achieve moksha, you achieve nirvana. And it's funny because, you know, Thomas was the one that, that was interacting with Jesus when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Thomas was the disciple that was sent to India. He was sent to a nation of 330 million gods to declare this message. Jesus is the way to the Father. You see, every other religion in the world, you bring God your resume at the end of your life. You bring God your resume and then God decides what to do with you. Only in Christianity does God come to you while you're alive and he gives you a resume. And it's a resume that says you are loved, you are forgiven, you are my delight, you are my son, you are my daughter. It's a resume that says this is who you are. And now go live your life in the light of that. Now go and live your life in the light of that. You know, in the creation account, in the creation account, um, God created Adam and Eve and he created them in his own image. And he, he, he gave them this garden, this lush, beautiful garden. And he said, go and eat freely. You get a, right from the beginning, a the picture of God's nature, go eat freely. And then he, then he created, he, he had two trees in that garden. One is the tree of life and one is the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said, this tree of knowledge, good and evil, don't, don't eat from that one. That one will hurt you. You don't want that one. 
And right from the beginning, Adam and Eve had the power to choose. He had the power to choose. They, 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 he could have created them and wired them to never go to that tree, but he gave them the power to choose. Why did he do that? Why would he do that? It's because for love, choose, choice must be present for love to exist. You need to have the power to choose in order to love. And God loved us, and he gives us the power to choose. He gave us, he gave us capacity to, to love each other, and that requires choice. He gave us capacity to love him. But that also demands choice. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, God is speaking to the nation of Israel, and he says, I call heaven and earth as witness against you today. I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. God says to the nation of Israel, choose me because I am life. You remember when God created Adam? The Bible says he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Why did he? He is life. He is the essence of life. He says, choose me, love me, and you will find life. Maybe, maybe the conversation about religions is not which one is right. Maybe the question we should be asking, who gives life? Who gives life? Jesus, he, he, he didn't say, if you pick any of these other gods, I'm going to kill you. He didn't say that. What he's saying, he said, I'm the way, the truth. He's telling us that because nobody else is coming for you. Nobody else is pursuing you with love. Allah is not coming for you. You're, the, the, the cycles of rebirth and rebirth and be, rebirth, no one's coming for you. In 1 John 4, 1 John 4, chapter, uh, verse 9, Jesus said this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent us his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. In all the other religions, nobody is pursuing you with love. There's nobody out there coming for you. And the God of the scripture is not an impersonal God and he's not an aloof God. Because the driving principle of his kingdom is love. The very essence of him is love. And he comes to love. And right before Jesus left the earth and he was about to be tortured and he was about to be crucified, he says this to his disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and remain in his love. He said, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. What Jesus is telling us is that he cares about you, that you live your life fully. He's saying, I want you to come and I want you to know my love so that your joy may be full. He didn't say, I, I, I want you to come and know me so that you can get it right. 
He didn't say, follow me so that you can be right. He didn't say, follow me. He didn't say, follow me so that you can avoid hell. He didn't say, follow me so that you can go to heaven. He said, follow me so you can experience me and experience life and the love that you're created for because I am life. Does God care more than you? Does God care more than me? Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like this. And then he tells a story about a boy. A boy that was so disrespectful to his father that in most cultures of the world, a child like that would be stoned to death for his behavior, for his actions. He treats his father as if he were already dead. He said to his father, I don't want to wait until you die. I want my inheritance now. Give it to me now. And the father gives him his inheritance. And the boy goes and he squanders a lifetime of investment in a very short time of sinful, selfish living. And he ends up homeless, penniless, friendless. He finds himself as a young Jewish boy in the worst place imaginable. He's feeding pigs. He's so hungry, he would eat pig slop. He's starving to death. He's naked. And he thinks to himself, my father's servants, they at least have something to eat. Maybe my dad would hire me as one of his employees. Maybe that's what we could do. And he starts heading home. And with every step that he walks home, he's thinking, what will my father do? What will my father do? You see, in, 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 in Eastern cultures, the fathers, they're the patriarchs of the family. And my friend was telling me that even today, in many parts of, um, of the world, that the, there's, there's, especially in India and other, other cultures there, the, the, the children, when they come into the house, before they do anything, they'll bend down and they'll touch their father's feet as a sign of respect. And so... It is unimaginable in an Eastern narrative for a son to act as disrespectfully as the son did. For a son to say those things to his father and then to waste the family fortune. But the son starts walking home, wondering what will my father do? And as Jesus is telling this story, he says, and when the son was a long way off, his father ran to him. The boy is covered in shame. He's covered in, in regret. He's covered in guilt. He's covered in, 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 in pig slop. He's covered. And the father runs to him. And the boy is trying to explain to his father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. And the father wraps his arm around his stinking, sweaty, smelly son. He says, my son was dead and now is alive. My son was lost, but now he's found my son, my son, my son. He said, he's back. And, and he, 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 he says, get, a, get his robe, get a ring, get his shoes, get a cow. We're going to celebrate. We are going to have a party. We're having a barbecue. My son, my son, my son. And the older brother, 
He just didn't, he could not, couldn't fathom this kind of grace. And the point of the story is that the boy did not deserve to be re-entered the family. He did not deserve to have the father's love. He didn't deserve to belong to the family. He didn't deserve a party. He didn't deserve a robe or a ring or shoes. He didn't deserve any of it. And Jesus is trying to tell his audience, you can never earn God's love. On your best day, you deserve hell. You're worse than you think but you're loved more than you could possibly imagine. And Jesus, uh, Jesus is saying that God's gift of grace is a gift. The provision was made for you. While you were a long way off, Jesus died for you. While you were a long way off, you come to him covered, smelling like sin, Smelling like selfishness. When your heavenly father wraps his arms around you, only he can clean you up. He wraps his forgiveness around you. He restores you. He gives you his righteousness, his right standingness. You see, if you're waiting for yourself, for, if you're waiting till you clean up, then you're putting more faith in your own resume than you are the resume that he handed you in Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but my resume is not that good. My resume is not that impressive. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on back up. So 5,000 years ago, Abraham he took his son and he walked him up a mountain and he put his son on an altar. He was going to sacrifice him to God as a demonstration of his faith. And he lifted the knife over his head and he brought the knife down. But before the father stopped him, God stopped him. He said, Abraham, stop. He said, I myself will provide a sacrifice. And then 2,000 years ago, another father walked his son up a hill. And that hill was Calvary. And this time the knife didn't stop. And this time, God provided himself a sacrifice for the sins of the human race. And while at I understand how people could see or believe or interpret the message of the gospel is one of exclusion. But can you see how the message of the gospel is about total inclusion? God so loved the whole world that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Matthew 11, Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I'll give you rest. Does God love more than you love? Does he care more than I care? Does he have more compassion than you? Scripture tells us that his mercies are new every 
morning. Every morning. His forgiveness is extended to you every single minute of every single day. And yet some of us who actually even know this, we still think we could do it ourselves. And that we have somehow earned a right to come to him on our own merit. It's always, always because of Jesus. And so the father has a resume in his hand today. And he's been dying to give it to you. You can accept your resume. Or you can accept the resume that he offers to you. Acknowledge your need for my righteousness, my resume. And open your heart to for me to come into your life and begin to work that beautiful thing out through your life. Let's pray together. I don't know all of you, but I just want to say that if you've never even thought to receive the gift of God's forgiveness that he gives to us in Christ. You can do that this morning just by opening your heart to him. And if you do that, then find somebody that you can talk to and begin the journey with a discussion. So simple. So simple. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you that you knew that we would mess it up so consistently that we would need a savior. And you provided a sacrifice. You provided a savior. I thank you, God, that you're calling us into a relationship with you so that we can live fully, fully. Thank you that you're inviting us into a dance that you created us for. Thank you that you are inviting us to live out a story that is courageous and beautiful. Above everything else, we thank you, God, for sending Jesus to pay a price for us, for our sins. In Jesus' name.